Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. So this week we're starting uh, a new series on Hebrews. Uh, we said goodbye to Jonah last week and we're up and running with Hebrews. So just take a moment for just a second and imagine this. Rome, 60 BC. Just imagine the cobbled streets, the noise, because there would have been a lot of noise. Okay? Imagine what it would have been like. The smells. Anyone can imagine that? Yesterday, thanks to a lovely tip I got from Norma during the week, I ended up at the Mediterranean Food cooperation or whatever it is but Monica had to drag me out there screaming because I didn't want to leave (laughs) the smells everything about it just brought me right back to Rome the real food and it was cheap too but anyway getting off track here remember Rome keep that in mind you've got Rome now there's this guy think of this guy his name's Antonius he's a young bloke maybe in his early 20s Um, he's tired because he works a lot Most Romans would have worked 12 to 14 hour days. Uh, A lot of them would have worked in the markets cleaning up. Antonius was a little different from most Romans because he was a Jew. And just imagine Antonius on his own heading up into his little one bedroom, one room apartment. Or back then they didn't have bedrooms, it would have been just one big room. And he's cooking himself his evening meal. And it would have looked very much like this scenario. Little wooden fire with an alcove. And you can imagine the smells in each of the houses, each of the apartments with their own foods. Now his food would have been typically something like this. It would have been mashed lentils and root vegetables with bread and stale wine. That would have been his typical evening meal. He wasn't rich. He didn't have much money. But he was a Jew, which made him different. Now, the Jews were well thought of in Rome. They were well liked. In fact, Rome is the longest uh, living city that we have today where Jews have continuously lived in, uh, historically. There's no other city that Jews have lived in longer continuously than Rome. At this time, in about 60, um, 60 AD, uh, Antonius's relatives and forefathers would have been living in Rome for over 200 years. They would have been in Rome. And the Romans liked them. They kind of thought that they were well, well behaved. And the Jews liked the Romans. In fact, they called their, children's, their children with Roman names, like Antonius. Many of the synagogues in Rome uh, are found even with marks on the street to tell you where to find this synagogue. That's called the Knot of Solomon, found on the streets to tell you that a synagogue was nearby. And the Romans didn't mind. The Jews even named their synagogues with Roman names. But something has happened with the Jews of late. Something has happened that is kind of starting to split them apart. This new cult, this new religion called Christianity... And Antonius, 
after hearing an elder in the street preaching about Christianity, gave his life to the Lord. But that's caused him a lot of trouble. His family doesn't want to hear of him anymore. That's why he's alone in an apartment eating his evening meal. They don't want to know about him. They ignore him when he walks through the streets. Some of his family throw cabbage at him. For a young man who grew up with a strong tradition, a proud tradition, it hurts. Now we can frown at the Jews as much as we want, but put it this way. Imagine if something like that happened to us, where this cult swept amongst us and people started believing in what we would think of as being heresy. The Jehovah Witnesses stand up in this room and start getting together and how would we react to that? A few years ago, actually many years ago, um, just as we were married, uh, there was a guy in our church, his name was Johnny. Now I was a young Christian really, so I hadn't really gotten into the whole intricacies of theology. But this Johnny was one of the guys, a strange guy, yes, but he was still one of the guys and we hung out together. And one day he invited us out to a a restaurant where he had these ideas he wanted to share with us. And he brought a whiteboard, he brought all these notes, and there was a group of about maybe 10 of us as we sat down there. And then he started spouting all this stuff. Aliens had come on earth and Jesus really was an alien. There are actual, you know, these lights, these beam of lights that are coming in that you see, they're actually projections from the mothership down. And we're listening to this guy thinking, he's gone absolutely crazy. He's lost it. And he was convinced. He, was, he even had mathematical formulas up there. He was going through the whole thing. And the, the nine of us were sitting there going, Johnny, you've lost the plot. Oh, but this is the truth. I, I believe it. I never spoke to Johnny again. Because I thought he was crazy. And, and he didn't really come back to church anymore. And that was the end of Johnny. Don't know what's happened to him. This is the same for Antonius. His family really think he's lost the plot. They really think he's just gone down the road. He's left the true faith. He's left. I mean, that's death. That's worse than death. Poor old Antonius is sitting there re- in his little one-room apartment eating his evening meal alone. But there is one little thing that he's got. He's part of a group of Christians, about 20 of them. And this night, they're going to meet. And apparently this night, something big is happening. Because one of the elders is coming down to read a scroll that's come from the east. And these scrolls don't come often. Usually they come from a guy named Paul. And usually they're not addressed to them, they're addressed to somebody else. But apparently this night, it's not a letter. It's not a letter at all. It's a sermon. It's something somebody has preached from the East. And it's got everybody in this small group excited. Because you know what? They don't have email. They don't have instant messaging. They've got to wait sometimes months to hear back from the wider church. 
And in the meantime, they've got little scribbles of scrolls left. And that's what they, they, they pour their hearts out on. They memorize them because that's all they've got. When I was dating Monica, she'll tell you a letter a week, minimum, sometimes two. And I'd get back maybe once a fortnight, maybe one. Oh, no. But when you get that letter, right? When you get that letter... You, you just read it, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, yeah, about a dozen times, right? Until the next one comes, because that's all you've got. Now, back then, there was no email. Apparently, there was an internet, but it was amongst about five people. But anyway, it's a big internet. Um, it was just these letters. The phone calls were too expensive. So I'd memorize these letters. I'd read them over and over and over again. It's the same with these, with these small group of Christians, these small letters that they got every once in a while. They read them over and over and over again. Now something new has arrived. I had this whole procedure. Whenever I got a letter from Monica, there was a procedure I would follow. I would get the letter. Whew, got the letter. Hold back from opening it. Get on my moped buy some fresh bread, some cheese, and I would, now you've got to understand this, I would buy a can of Coca-Cola. Now, if you've been to Rome, and you know how much Coca-Cola costs in Rome, you can buy wine cheaper in Rome than Coke. It was that expensive. But I would save up and I'd have that, and I'd, drive, I'd ride my moped all the way up to the top of the Janicola, which is this area that overlooks all of Rome. And there was this little wall, and I'd sit there, and I'd put my bread my cheese, my Coke, and I would read the letter. It would be an event for me. I'm not kidding you. Yeah, I know it's sappy, but you know, that's what I would do. And now Antonius is savoring the moment. He knows something big is going to happen. But who does this letter come from? Who's written this letter? Oh, it's a big debate amongst theologians for many years. They've all agreed that it's not necessarily a letter, it's, it's more of a sermon. But my bet is on a guy named Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 25. It says this, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the Scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught in the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit, and with accuracy. The letter is one of the most eloquent letters ever written, apparently found historically. Uh, I'm not re- I can't remember who the theologian that said, but the Greek is so well written. So well written. It must have sounded like music to the ears of those who were hearing it. So Antonius is all excited. He gets up. He heads out into the streets at night, goes to another one-room apartment where about 20 guys and girls have all gotten together. The candles are lit, burning, and there's the elder. He's just gotten there in time. He finds a nice little corner, and the elder unscrolls, or unrolls the scroll, and he begins to read. And here's what he says. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided the purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. That's the first four verses. Now, they wouldn't have had verses back then, but there most probably would have been a cut in the paragraph and the older would have taken a breath. And everybody in that room would have been mesmerized, holding on. But it's interesting because this letter, this sermon, starts off with what is actually basic theology. Jesus, raised up on high. Something, unfortunately, most of us, we kind of just, oh, we've heard that. Okay, yeah, we we know that. But whoever wrote this is saying, remember this. This is the basis of who we are. And it's interesting because throughout all of Hebrews, he goes back to basic theology. And he comes up with this first point that, as a good Baptist, I've got to bring out the points. And the first one is this. Right thinking is essential to right living. Right thinking is essential to right living. Okay? It's really hard for us. I'm bringing it back to modern day now. Because I've heard it, and you guys have heard it. You might have even said this. I didn't get much out of that sermon. Did you get much out of that sermon? I've had people come to me and say, it's not practical, I need something to get me going today. I'm not a pharmacist. You know, you know we, we tend to fall into the, the trap that our culture has, the practicality of, of things, it's got to work for us. It's, it's got to give us something to walk away with. And if it doesn't, well, then it's not good enough. And we don't just do that with sermons. We do that with Bible studies or we do it with quiet times. And, you know, prayer, who wants to go to prayer, really? I can do that at home on my own. You know, I, I, there's nothing practical about prayer when I'm in a group. Who wants to go at, at 5 a.m. on a Tuesday morning? I'm not going to come here on a 5 a.m. on a Tuesday. 8 a.m., okay? I'm going to have a whole bunch of people out the front at 5 saying, where were you, Rob? But we, we are caught up in the practicalities of it. What does it do for me? What does it do for me? And what we forget is actually take a step back. The thinking process, the theology is actually very important because it forms the basis of how you live. Without the right theology, your practicality means absolutely nothing. Your practicality means zilch. Let that thing sink in for a moment. Anyone read the book Embraced by the Light? Uh, you might have read 90 Minutes in Heaven. They talk about that 
experience that people have, near-death experiences of going to heaven and meeting God or seeing a bright light. Embraced by the Light was really the book that kind of took off. And the problem with that is this picture of God is horrendous. It's not right. And yet we kind of hold it up as being, oh, these are near-death experiences. They're encountering God. And you think, oh my goodness, where's the right thinking happening here? Anyone read Frank Peretti's books? They're quite, quite well known. I love them. Again, when you want to measure that up to the Bible, people use that as a measure of prayer and spiritual warfare. It's not. It's bad thinking. It's not right thinking. Again, the reason why most theologians look at these things and say, hey, this doesn't work. I mean, they're great reads, don't get me wrong. But it's bad thinking. The wealth and and health gospel. We've got a lot of that going around. You're allowing people who are experts at sales to dictate the gospel. You've got a problem right there. You've got a major problem right there. Right thinking. And the problem is our practicality takes over. It does, because you see it in churches all the time. Who are the representatives of Christianity when it comes to popular culture? Rugby stars. Business people, actors, rock stars. Why? Why? Because we're practical people. And it doesn't matter about the right thinking. Let's get the star up the front. Because they're successful. They're successful. Karl Barth uh, wrote this, which I think is really important. He said this, he says, Theology is an act of repentant humility. The church seeks to again and again examine itself critically. It has to be a watchman so as to carefully observe the constant threatening and invasive error to which life of church, of the church, is in danger. Why? Because we're composed of fallible, erring, sinful people. Now, unfortunately, some churches take that to the nth degree and they are like Sherlock Holmes going around investigating every little corner of people's lives and then people get alienated by that. I'm not advocating that. But what I am calling out is, hey, we need to be challenged to right thinking. We need to surround ourselves by people who challenge us. In the book of Hebrews, it opens up immediately. Hey, people. This is who we are. This is what we believe. And this is who Jesus is. Let's not forget that. Let's always fall back on that. Now, and I've had this happen many a time, where people come up to me and say, I love theology, but it's boring. Who thinks? I mean, let's be honest here, okay? If I was to get out a book on systematic theology and to preach that on a Sunday morning, who would think that's boring? 
who's honest enough to put... I've got one, two people at least who are putting... There's a couple more putting... And others who are laughing and smiling. Yes, I can get out a nice big thick book on systematic theology and bore everybody to tears. Yep, that's, that's my daughter right there. See, my daughter. No. <laughs> um, it is. And the way it's presented sometimes, it's presented boringly. But I'm going to read to you a different version of the beginning of Hebrews. And I want you just a moment, bear with me. I know it might be a little bit outside of your comfort zone, but just close your eyes for a moment and just listen to the words as I read them out to you. In many ways and by many means, God spoke in ancient times to our ancestors and to the prophets. But at the end of these days, he has spoken to us through Jesus. Jesus, his son. He appointed his son to be here of all things. Through him, in addition, he created all the worlds. He is not just a reflection, but a shining reflection of God's own glory. The precise expression and precise reflection of his very own being. And through him and him alone, he sustains all things through his powerful word. He accomplished the cleansing needed for my sins and for your sins. And right now he sat down at the right hand of the majesty supreme, God Almighty. See how much greater he is than all the angels. And the name that he has is greater and finer than anything for to which a being ever created did God ever say, you are my son and today I became your father. Who did he say this to? It's a pity that for us in English we lose so much of the eloquence of the Greek language. And any of you who know a foreign language, you know especially those Mediterranean languages, they flow. They're poetic. They're emotional. They speak to your heart. There's a reason why in World War II the Italians lost. They're not fighters, they're lovers. They know how to speak. They don't know how to shoot a gun. The Greeks are the same. And it's this language that God chose to reveal his word. And when you read it with poetry, it just burns inside you. And you can only imagine Antonius and his friends. You know, they're not having a great life. They've lost family and friends. They're eking out a living. And it'll only get worse over time with persecutions and stuff. And here they are, they're bathing in these words. They're just drinking it up. 
And we tend to take it for granted. We tend to kind of let it loose on the wayside. We tend to not even, I mean, who picks up their Bible every day? Oh, come on, I've read that passage. I know what they're talking about. Oh, I don't have time. Right thinking. Right thinking. But you can only get the right thinking by reading. And in saying all of that also, we talked about right thinking, but the right Jesus is essential for the right living. Uh, we talk about right thinking, but I think you also need to be looking at the right Jesus. And, and in the book of Hebrews, that whole first chapter, he talks about who Jesus is. And then he ends at verse 1 of chapter 2 with this, which, which is really important. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. That we don't drift away. Who is Jesus for you? Because there's only one Jesus. And we can't all have different Jesuses. That's the practicality of our society. Let's make Jesus into what we want or where we're at. But there is only one Jesus. And this Jesus is not only the Son of God, He's also your Savior. He is one who died for you. He is one who gave His life for you just so you can connect with the Father in heaven, so that you can just live beyond the hopelessness of this life. Something that Antonius knew and believed and, and didn't even think of his life anymore. He was already thinking of the life to come and his encounter with Jesus. Who is Jesus for you? Everyone know Chuck Colson? Uh, Prison Ministries, he started that up. And uh, part of his heart for reaching out to those in prison, he would travel the world and write articles and, and, and books on his encounters with various prisons. But there was one prison in particular that blew him away completely. It was in a place in Brazil, in the Amazon. Uh, the prison was so bad... There would be riots, weekly beatings and killings. Often, the government didn't know what to do with the prison anymore. And two guys put their hands up, two doctors who were Christians, and they said, can we take it over? And they did. <laughs> the government didn't know what else to do. So, hey, we can't do much about it. You guys can have it. Now we have someone to blame if it all goes bad. And these two guys... They renamed the, the, uh, the prison Humaita, which in, in Portuguese means humanity, the humanity. And Chuck Colson uh, thought, hey, I'm going to go down there and check this out. And I've got to read you the words of what he says when he goes down there, because it's powerful. When I visited Humaita, I found the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys and opened the gates and let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas, people walking, uh, working industriously. And the walls were decorated with biblical sayings from Psalms and Proverbs. My guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell once used for torture. And today he told me that block houses only a single inmate. 
And as we reached the end of the long concrete corridor, he put the key in the lock and he paused and he asked me, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure you want to go in? Being the typical American, of course, he replied impatiently. Well, I replied impatiently. He said, I've been in isolation cells all over the world. I'm used to this. And slowly he swung the open massive door and I saw the prisoner in that punishment cell. A crucifix beautifully carved by the inmates and the prisoner Jesus hanging on a cross. His guide turned to him softly and said, he's doing time for us. Angels can't do that. Nothing in this world can do that. No one can pay your sin. No one can stand in your place where you deserve to be but Jesus. The murderer knows that. The inmates of that prison know that. But we are no different to them. We are no different to them. Jesus has paid it all for us. He's paid it all for us. John got it wrong in Revelation where he bowed down and started worshipping the angel. And the angel's like, dude, don't worship me. Don't worship me. Jesus is worthy of all our worship. And as we open up in the book of Hebrews, let's just stop for a moment, put all our practicality aside, and just remember who we are, what we believe, and who we believe in. Who do you believe in? Who is Jesus? We're going to have communion now. I want to ask our people to come forward, the servers and those who will pray. And as they do, I'm going to challenge you on one thing. It's time for repentance. It's not something we do often here at Apawa. But it's time for us to take a moment and repent. Repent of maybe at times our practicality is overtaking our right thinking. Maybe repent of maybe not putting Jesus first in our lives. Or of maybe, just maybe, our own desires always seem to take precedence. And maybe for some of you this morning, it's a time of recommitment. And through repentance, giving your life back to God and honoring the one who died for you. Let's just take a moment in quietness. Lift your hearts and seek repentance. Heavenly Father, you are the true and living God, most high, the Holy One. Heaven is your throne and earth 
your footstool. You are robed in power, crowned in honour. Righteousness is the key to your kingdom. Yet we have rebelled against you, Lord. We have fallen far short of your glory. And at times we just haven't loved you with all of our hearts. Nor have we loved our neighbours as ourselves. We deserve your punishment, Lord. But Lord God, gracious Father, give us not what we deserve. Give us what you promise to all who turn to you in trust. Complete forgiveness through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. In your unfailing love, Lord, wash us clean with his blood, clothe us with his righteousness, and put your praises on our lips every day. And everybody said,